Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Friday, September 25th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle. I am very happy to be joined by Jonah Booker for his usual Friday visit. Jay Book, just how nice is it to actually talk about football, not if we're going to have football, this and that. I mean, we're not breaking down position battles for Ohio State, talking about practice. My man, how nice is it to just talk football? It's awesome, Dave. And let me tell you, my my blood pressure and my nerves, they're, they're a whole lot more calmer than what they were leading up to the announcement and the debacle that happened. Just being able to sit back and watch other college football games, knowing in, in your back pocket that Ohio State will be back soon. Seeing the, the clips from Ohio State social media showing guys out there flying around in practice, having a lot of fun, seeing our star par- players back. It's just, it's just beautiful to see. Um, it, it really gives me a sense of appreciation for some of these other college football games, knowing that the Buckeyes in, in a couple more weeks will be back on the field playing. And it looks like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis are all systems go. We're still waiting a you know final word on that, but they're back practicing. Everybody's optimistic over at Ohio State. So if anybody's out there wondering, like you know, is, is Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis really going to play? Yeah, Lo- looks like it's all systems go for those young men. Yep, that's what it. That's what it sounds like, and it looks like. Uh, I know Tom Mars, uh, the attorney who has helped countless uh, players become eligible and have to help them navigate through the NCAA spider web, but all indications are that it should be a slam dunk. There are a little, a couple of hiccups, nothing major within the NCAA as far as making sure that they cross their T's and dot their I's. But as Tom Mars, the attorney has said, once Kevin Warren had put out that definitive statement that they will not be revisiting um, the, the reinstatement of the season, that right there, gives the players grounds to say, hey, I opted out based off what the commissioner said. With that being said, um, I'm going to be joining my team again because new information has arised. And you're also seeing it all across the the Big Ten. You're starting to see Rondell Moore's coming back and Bateman in Minnesota, he's back. Michigan believed that some of their players could be coming back. And James Franklin said the door is open uh, for his star player to come back. So I, I, I think it's good for the conference. I want Ohio State to have to field the best team possible and play against everyone with their loaded roster, especially Michigan, because once the beatdown comes, you don't want to hear their mouth running with the excuse saying that they were their star players opted to go to the NFL. I want Michigan at full strength. When, when they come to Columbus because it just makes the beat down that much better whenever those guys are all on the field. Later today from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, we're going to interview Ohio State offensive coordinator and tight ends coach Kevin Wilson, and we're going to interview Ohio State's tight ends, Luke Farrell, Jake Hausman, Jeremy Ruckert. We'll see if we'll get more than that. Uh, maybe Cade Stover as well. But uh, Kevin Wilson's going to be interesting to talk to him later today, Jay Book. I'm looking forward to that. Now, we all know, the real offensive coordinator is Ryan Day. We're, we're not stupid, but Kevin Wilson has, has a big part in game planning, and I know Ryan Day really leans on him. If Ryan Day needs a suggestion, um, he's not shy about asking Kevin Wilson, and frankly, Kevin Wilson's not shy about suggesting something to Ryan Day. They work really well together. Just what are some things you're uh, looking forward to perhaps hearing from Kevin Wilson and some of the tight ends today? Yeah, and I just want to touch on Kevin Wilson because everyone talks about a lot of the, the younger star power um, 
coaches that we have on our staff with the Heartlines and the Tony Alfers, things of that nature. But quietly, Kevin Wilson is a major player when it comes to the offense because he's a sounding board for Ryan, a former head coach, a guy who's been been in the trenches. He's coached Heisman quarterbacks, and he he has a lot of input on the offense and a lot of the coaches that tell you when they're in the offensive meetings within the staff and the coaches, it's usually Kevin Wilson who's driving that. And obviously Ryan Day is going to make the calls come Saturday, but as far as helping to get the game plans together and helping to, you know, get the offense squared away, Kevin Wilson plays an integral part. But for me, uh, when, when you're talking to him and hearing what he has to say, just, his expectations as far as the offense, especially the running back position. I know Ryan Day touched on that uh, slightly on this radio show where he said the time is now for Master T to show that he's a true number one running back instead of uh, being a number two guy. And it sounds like Teague is back healthy and he should be ready to go once the season pops off. Uh, But you can have a a nasty dynamic one-two punch with Teague and Trey Sermon there and I thought it was interesting that that Ryan Day said that the running back depth is going to play a huge role for them. Expect to see uh, a lot of those younger guys get carries. And that's music to my ears because we've always been wondering what what's the guys behind Teague are going to look like. Crowley and Steel Chambers, and you have the true freshman is coming in. If those guys are making a, a big enough impact that the coach believes that they should be able to get some touches, then I think that's going to that's going to play out huge in the long term rope, especially with these younger guys being able to save a year of a year of eligibility by playing this year because of the NCAA rules saying that these guys, if you're a freshman and you play, you're still going to have your freshman eligibility going forward. So just getting these younger guys on the field will be huge for the for the development. Yeah, Jonah, and the potential for this Buckeye offense is just off the charts. I mean, they have several strengths. They have a lot of depth, and they don't have any weaknesses. Now, that doesn't mean that the running backs collectively are going to be as good as J.K. Dobbins was last year, but it's still a really good running back room, as you just articulated. I mean, they're they're not going to have that one bell cow, but with Trey Sermon, with Master T, with Marcus Crowley, with Steel Chambers, perhaps Mayan Williams, perhaps Demario McCall, um, they feel good about their running backs. And you could argue that's the weak link of the offense. And that's that's how stacked they are when they have Justin Fields at quarterback, perhaps the best offensive line that we have seen at Ohio State, a young but extremely talented group of wide receivers and a really good tight end core as well. And Ryan Day calling the offense, Ryan Day designing the offense with the help of Kevin Wilson. I mean, the potential for this. We'll talk defense in a minute. I know you're a DB. You don't want to hear too much about the offense, Jay Book. But potential for this offense is off the charts, my man. I love talking to offense. Um, It it, it puts me – as you were going through that, I just had a huge smile on my face for the simple (laughs) fact that I didn't even think that we were going to be able to see Justin Fields back in Ohio State uniform early on uh, this month. So just being able to, to rattle off the position groups and the names, it, it just puts a, a smile on my face. And as Mark Petoni said on Twitter uh, on, on Thursday, get your popcorn and your gummy bears ready because this is going to be a show, <laughs> especially with, with all of the weapons that they have. And you have to mention the, the offensive line because everything starts up front. The junkyard dogs that they have up there, as you mentioned, this could be one of the best offensive lines that we've seen at Ohio State. 
Wyatt Davis was absolutely dominant. Josh Myers had a heck of a year last year. Thayer Mumford, as long as he can stay healthy, I think uh, that he's going to have a solid year. The guy I'm really excited to see is Harry Miller because I think he's a future All-Big Ten, potential All-American in the making, um, a former five-star out of Georgia. So you have a lot of star power. And then you look at MPF on the right tackle spot, another five-star. The talent is there. You you essentially have three five-stars on your offensive line. And at one point, Josh Myers was also considered a five-star. So you could consider four five-stars on your offensive line. So regardless of how the running backs look as, as, as being on the level as J.K. Dobbins, with your offensive line being that nasty, they're going to have an ample opportunity to break off some runs. And, and we have to mention the wide receiver unit. It, this right here is an explosive, a very athletic and gifted wide receiver uh, unit that they have. They may be young. They may be inexperienced behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but I think these younger guys are really going to put on a show once they get on the field. And I want to get your thoughts on the defense as well. I mean, this um, D line is still going to be really good, despite the fact you, you lose uh, perhaps the best uh, defensive end in school history and Chase Young. Um, no disrespect to the Bosa brothers. I love Joey and Nick as well. But uh, I think Chase's uh, year last year was the best I've ever seen. Um, that includes stalwarts like Will Smith and Mike Vrabel and some of the best DN seasons we've seen. Uh, Golston, all the rest. Um, and they're still going to be stacked on that D-line. Linebacker is really interesting to me. They're so veteran there, man. They've got, obviously, the three returning starters. Uh, well, not three returning stars. They lost Malik Harrison, but it feels like three returning stars. You have Tuff Borland and, you know, who kind of split time with Baron Browning last year. You got Pete Werner. Uh, you got Justin Hillier, who played a lot. So you've got four seniors there. Justin Hillier, a sixth-year senior. You got Baron Browning, a senior. Tough Borland, a fifth-year senior. And Pete Werner, a senior. So four seniors there. And then, Jay Book, even the guys we think of as young backers are not even young anymore, like Taraja Mitchell, Jr., Kayvon Pope, Jr., Dallas Gant, Jr. Your thoughts overall on this defense, and in particular, this linebacking core? Yeah, we'll start with the linebacking core. Absolutely deep. As you mentioned, we have a lot of veteran guys, a lot of leadership in the heart of the defense. And I think that is imperative, especially when you're breaking in a new defensive coordinator and Kerry Cones uh, calling the defense for the first time in his career uh, on this level. So I, I, I think it's important to have those veterans back. It, it will be interesting to see how much those, that second wave of guys play, especially with them being able to save a year of eligibility. The defensive line, I, I'm looking for some talent in the middle to really step up because they need losing Haskell Garrett for a short period of time. Um, I think that right there will have to push up a lot of those younger guys. And Ryan Day mentioned that on this coaching show that he was very impressed with some of those younger defensive tackles. And I'm just happy for uh, Jonathan Cooper to, to get another swing at the bat here. He's a, he's a war daddy that has given a lot to this program. He's poised to have a monster year. And, and then, as, as you like to call him, Sax Harrison, he has the dripping of an All-American ready to explode on the national stage. He's going to be the next headliner on Ohio State uh, defensive line that's going to be our early first-round pick. And then on the secondary, just getting Sean Wade back is tremendous and his leadership and his ability to play on the outside will be huge. 
the guy that I've been hearing a lot about has really balled out and has really showed up is Marcus Williamson. He, he's a younger kid. I know everyone talks about seven banks and, and, and Cam Brown and them, and rightfully so. Those are very talented corners. But I, I like what I'm hearing about Marcus Williamson. I think he's going to be a kid that, that can play on the inside. He's a competitive, high spirit. He doesn't back down from competition. And then, to me, the biggest question mark on the defense will have to be the back end at the safeties. Josh Proctor has the potential to be a primetime player. Everyone knows him uh, as far as being a big hitter. But what they need for him is to play within the defense. Don't always look for the kill shot. Just play fundamental football. And if he can play within himself and play within the defense, he can be a, a heck of a ball player there. And, and just figuring out what they're going to do with the other position, that safety there. Um, what are they going to do with Tyree Johnson? He, it's time for him to, to get going now. Uh, so some of those younger guys on the back end, Lathan Ransom, who's been on campus for a very long time, who was a highly regarded prospect coming out of Arizona, they, they really like him. So I'm curious to see how, what they do with those younger guys at the safety position. But make no mistake, this is a very talented roster. It's a national championship caliber roster. They have very little holes. Uh, I was listening to Danny Sheraton, which is a professional handicapper on the Paul Feinbaum show, and he was breaking down Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. And, and according to him, there's, there's very little separation when it comes to roster. All three rosters are loaded with NFL talent. If you put any one of those teams right now on a neutral field, it would probably pretty much be a pick them at, at worst, uh, a minus one, either, either direction, uh, point spread. So you, these three rosters are the top dogs in college football. The only question that we have is, can they get all of the games in, especially with how strict the Big Ten is when it comes to the COVID guidelines? as far as getting – if certain amount of players catch it, will a game get canceled? But I have faith with the, with the everyday testing that they're going to implement that they'll be able to catch it in time. And guys understand, especially at Hall State, what's at risk and what's at stake. My only concern, Dave, is as we start getting through the meat of the schedule, where your Rutgers or where your Maryland's teams or your Indiana's who's not really in the hunt – Will they still take it as serious as they will be heading into the season? Jay Book, I just love this, man. We're talking real football, as I said at the outset of the show. Just, I just have warm fuzzies all over. We're talking real football. Uh, speaking of which, breaking news, last thing on the show here, breaking news out of the Pac-12 yesterday. They are going to play some football this fall. They're going to start two weeks after the Big Ten on November 6th. The Pac-12 is going to have a seven-game schedule, including the Pac-12 championship game, and they're taking a page out of the Big Ten Ten's book. Everybody's going to play um, on uh, championship Saturday there, the day before the college football playoff gets released. So that would be December 19th, I believe. So the Pac-12, so basically the same thing as the Big Ten, just two less games. So Big Ten's trying to play nine games in nine weeks. The Pac-12's going to play seven games in seven weeks. Your thoughts on this, Jay Book? I'm, I'm happy for the Pac-12. I mean, they're a little late to the party, but not all of it is their fault as far as the conference. A lot of it had to do with, I believe, politics as well as uh, city and county health officials where, where a lot of these universities reside. I know I was reading um, 
University of Colorado, they actually can't even start practice until October 8th. And it's not even a university thing. It's the, the Boulder County health restrictions that is saying that they can't do anything until October 8th. So that makes sense on why they are starting when they are, because not all schools are going to be able to get on the practice field. Uh, I know Stanford and Cal, they're trying to lobby for uh, their county commissioners, health officials to allow them to get going. But the one thing that has been thrown around is people say, well, the Pac-12 is automatically eliminated from any playoff talk. And I've heard uh, professional people who has access to uh, the playoff committee and said, not so fast, because what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of games right now getting canceled. And a lot of people's thought process was, okay, if the SEC plays 10 games and the Big 12 plays 9 or 10, same with the ACC, then why should a a seven-win team or a six-win team get in the playoff? The thing that you're running into is there's a very slim chance that everyone in, in those conferences will have a full schedule. I mean, Notre Dame just had to cancel their game this weekend because they've had 10 players with a breakout. So what a lot of people are saying is once the, all the dust settles and we make it to the conference championship games, if you've played six games, seven, six games at the minimum, maybe seven, you still have a legitimate shot to the playoffs if you're undefeated because of so much has happened, so much uncertainty. Not everyone is going to have equal footing as far as the schedule. You could have people in the SEC that has 10 games and people in the SEC with eight games. And same thing with the Big Ten. You could have Ohio State with eight games, seven games, and and Michigan with seven or six games. We don't know. It's just so much of a moving target. But the objective is is to try to find the four best teams. But with that being said, with such a small sample size, you better be undefeated and you better be you better be looking apart. And Gene Smith has even said that when asked about the playoffs is it's going to it's going to depend a lot on the eye test. So when Gene says that, that to me tells me Ryan Day put the foot on everyone's throat, show no mercy, 60, 70 on the scoreboard. I'm sorry if you try to say this is this is unsportsmanlike by running up the score, but Ohio State has a point to prove. They have a chip on their shoulder, and we're coming for Clemson. Maybe only against Nebraska we'll take the foot off the gas. What do you think? Maybe maybe 40 or 50 on Nebraska. Other than that, because they, they were our brothers in arms and fighting to get this season back. But make no mistake about it. Everybody has to get the business this year, Dave. Everybody. I mean, this is a this is a once in a lifetime football team, and those are words that came from Ryan Day's mouth. When once the season got canceled, that's why he was so distraught. It's because he was saying this this team here is a once in a lifetime team. When you have a potentially the number one quarterback and all of the talent that's surrounding him, you have to put your foot on everybody's throat because if we have, if we only get six games in, seven games in. It's going to the debate is not going to be about strength of schedule at that point. It's going to be all about the eye test, who looks the best. And if Ohio State is just just beating people down, then it's going to be a hard argument to leave them out, even with one loss. 
Excellent insights, as always, from Jonah Booker here on the Bucknuts Morning 20. I really appreciate it, Jay Book, and thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning in. If you like the show, give us a five-star review. It really helps. Or subscribe. All that really helps. We appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great weekend, Bucknutters. 